But I've never, ever been held back by the belief that I'm a woman and I can't do something. Or that I would allow anybody to talk down to me because I was a woman. You know, I've always been well known for expressing an opinion and um, not just taking it because I have to or being told what to do by somebody. Uh, I don't think that you should ever feel um, that you can't, you know, express how you feel or think something's uncomfortable. So I just thought, you know, why not? Nothing has ever held me back. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika Chakrabarti and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod is all about how the internet has revolutionised work. Each week I'll speak to someone working in a creative field and ask them how their industry has moved from an analogue to a digital age or how the internet has invented their job. If you like what we're talking about in the podcast, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at FreelancePod. On Twitter is at freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. The voice you heard in the cold open was that of social media trainer Sue Llewellyn. You haven't heard her episode yet because it's out this weekend. And if you like what she had to say there, you're going to really enjoy her episode. So I decided to make a compilation because there have been a lot of really amazing female guests on the show. And they've had great advice or stories about their heroes or tales of times that they were told perhaps they couldn't do something and yet their story shows that they could probably do that thing. And I think for me and for for listeners who identify as female, um, we'll find perhaps things that we really identify with in their stories. So I decided to put out some of the best bits and some of the bits that work with International Women's Day and the theme and put them all together. So you're going to be hearing from all the female guests who have been on Freelance Pod and from three upcoming guests as well. Hi, I'm Isabel Hogal, Senior Editor at Large at LinkedIn. All week on LinkedIn, we've been asking our members to answer a different question every day to start meaningful conversations about careers for women and for men. Today, the question is, what is the one change you would like to see in the workplace? I'd love to hear from you. Share your contributions, a post, a video, an article with the hashtag women at work and join the conversation on LinkedIn. I look forward to chatting with you. So here's Fiona Fenson from the Women's Out episode where she works as a producer. And she also works at Radio Verulam in St Albans because we all have more than one job. Hello, everyone. And firstly, a very happy International Women's Day. Here at Radio Verulam, a local community station in St Albans, Hertfordshire, our team of presenters and producers are celebrating women's achievements and taking action for equality by sharing incredible local stories of women. The weekend starts here on Friday and teacher Johnny Seabrook, he will be giving up his show to the girls from St Albans Girls School. They've got a radio club and they're going to host the weekend starts here between two to four instead of Johnny. They've selected all the music. They've chosen female artists and they'll also be explaining who their female icons are. I forgot to mention that Friday morning, though, our breakfast girls are back. That's Lady Jen and Kerry Cobb. And they'll be having 
having a whole host of local St Albans women coming in that run things like uh, the chamber, professional businesses, environment groups, and afterwards they'll get everyone together and catch up and reflect on all the great work women are doing in our local area. That's at one of the local cafes uh, that's part of the radio station. And the key thing will be collaboration, innovation and recognising hard work. That's something they're proud to do and they do that really positively as well. I hope that gives you, our fellow audio colleagues, a window, if not a small one, into the world of local community radio, where our podcasting pals are crafting beautiful, funny and groundbreaking narratives and audio makers are curating sweet sound design pieces. Here in community radio, especially at Radio Verulam in St Albans, Hertfordshire, we're also working hard as volunteers to empower women's stories and be the place for all things local. You can find us at radioverulam.com if you'd like to tune into any of our shows or catch them again on uh, Listen On Demand. Happy International Women's Day 2019. And here's Christina Moore talking about a really memorable International Women's Day. At the time, I was still working for Apple and we were kind of, it was coming up to International Women's Day and we needed some ideas. We love to work really collaboratively. And uh, I was like, hey, what if we record a show? Deborah Francis White, her podcast, The Guilty Feminist, was massively popular. It's been popular for a a very, very long time. And she was just the perfect candidate to feature on our storefront. Was she on tour at the time? Because there were live Mm. events happening, weren't there? Deborah actually records most of her podcast episodes as live events. So, yeah, she has a mammoth task on her hands. It is an operation for her, um, but it's one that's paid off dividends. So, um, and she had, she was very well connected uh, and she had some great guests on and we're like, okay, well, uh, there were all these positive female role models and we're like well let's let's support them let's support them and their content um on the storefront so it was on the apple podcast store it was on the apple bookstore um and um apple news picked it up as well as a feature and uh, it worked incredibly well we were so pleased with the result and we we hope that it achieved what we set out for it to achieve and that was for a voice to be heard. Deborah's wow. lovely. I yeah. really, really like her. And she stands for so many things. I think what I love about Deborah is that people claim to be either a feminist or an activist of some sort, but not a lot of people do anything about it. Mm. Uh, they're, they're what I call either keyboard warriors or mm. <laughs> bedroom champions. And that has its place, but she actively pursues change. Um, so it's not just her podcast. She also holds seminars for women to negotiate better uh, pay rises and promotions. And I feel like that, I felt like she should be somebody at the forefront of yeah. an International Women's Day be- because she made an active contribution. It wasn't just her and a microphone. It was all the stuff behind it. Yeah. yeah. Here's Jordan Gaspore, who works on the Mother Jones podcast, talking about interning with one of her heroes, Pamela Koloff, at the Texas Tribune. Well, I, I did a I did an internship and really her and um, another journalist, but really Pam was like 
very willing of her and giving up her time and to help me and the other intern like really shape a voice and be a mentor figure for us while we were there. So I have high respect for, for Pam. She's awesome. <laughs> well, it was, let me see, what year would this have been? 2014 or 2013 that I was there. And she decided to like, so I'll step back. I had been very interested at that point in getting into investigative journalism. And I really wanted to do long form investigative feature stories, not unlike the stories that she does. And I was curious how one organizes their investigations. Like you're working on a story for a year. How do you keep track of everything? So I went in her office and like, she'd been clear that if her door was open, that we could come in and talk to her. And I popped into her office unannounced and I was like, Hey, Pam, if you have a few minutes, I really would love to see your like filing system. And I remember that she got really excited. And she was like, not many people asked me about looking at my filing system. And she just got so giddy about organizing. And I'm sort of, uh, I, I try to uh, semi OCD organizing freak as well. She took me the step-by-step process of how she organizes her files on her computer and opened up these big file cabinets that were very long with file folders. And it was super organized, very meticulous. And we spent about an hour going through that process and me taking notes. And I just really appreciated that moment of one, like not blowing me off and like staying true to her word about if her door was always open, that you can come in and talk to her and taking an hour out of her day to go through a process um, that, you know, maybe some other reporters would have found like ridiculous of an intern to ask or um, didn't have the time and just would blow me off. And she was very helpful. And it was just interesting to see, like I had way, I had a lot of respect for her already, but like more respect being like, you were just such a hard worker. You are just seeing your process. You are such a professional, you know, especially me being so young at that point. Here's Shola LAJ talking about her work on Lauren Laverne's Six Music Breakfast Show. I, I love being in the background, making things kind of happen and working in some ways and like, it's like the director of a film. Yeah, yeah. You? So like, you know, when I think about Lauren Laverne's show and how Ash, the producer, he kind of came up with that concept of the, the you know, the, the, the hour for the artist or the, the guest who's coming in where, you know, it's such it's actually a really simple but very effective idea because, you know, you have somebody who comes in and then they choose songs uh, and, you know, the, the person listening could get, like, a completely new view of them at the end of it. Because, like, when Paul Weller was in, he was choosing tracks like Georgia Smith and Childish Gambino, and people think, wow, Paul Weller's into that. Like, you'd never think that. But I love that that's actually, you know, turning on on its head, and he was saying how he's influenced by the music that his daughter's listening to. He's telling him about music. So you just assume that he just listens to, like, the Beatles and the Faces or something. You, but you do, like, you know, it had to be made before, like, yeah, 1980. Yeah, but then actually it's like, you know... No, a good artist wouldn't do that. A good artist wouldn't do that. They'd be listening to everything. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, you know, kind of breaking down barriers. Because, you know, also also as a a black woman who went, you know, growing up in loving the music that I loved, I was always seen as a bit different because stereotypically... There are tribes around certain kinds of music. But luckily, weirdly, music this day isn't as tribal as it used to be. But back then it was like, you know, you were a black girl, you listened to Ja Rule, which I loved. I loved Ja Rule and Ashanti and Mystical and all of that. 
but then I was also into Owen John and and I was also into Mike and the Mechanics. So oh yes, you know, looking it, back yeah, over my shoulder. <laughs> so I, you know, I was into Tears for Fears. So it was like. And so the 90s, you had Oasis and Blur. I don't think you'd right. have that. I don't think you have just the spotlight and one or two bands in the musical culture anymore. We're all in our fragmented places listening to different things. Yeah, I, don't think I think it works. everyone's listening to really different things nowadays. It's definitely not as tribal as it used to be. No. Before it was like you were into a certain kind of music, you couldn't be into anything else. Whereas now it's actually encouraged for you to be in loads, into loads of different things. So like it's like when, the, when people say ask me like what kind of music you're into and I'm like, Everything? Oh, I don't know, I just, just ask me what the last thing I listened to. Because actually one day, like, you know, yes, I was listening to Jeremy XX on the way in and then the day before that I was listening to like Acker Bilk. So it's like, it just depends what what mood I'm into. Here's Emma Caution recalling the time she first met Ed Miliband. Terrifying. Not hit, not like no. because of it, but it's because he's one of these like, he's just a really, you know, well-known face. Like, And I was meeting him for the first time at his house and I'm like, hello, I'm here. To... And I was just so quiet and and it's like I didn't know what was going on so we did yeah we did two sort of meetings before we went live with it when I was when I was sort of invited on these kind of prep meetings for just before kickoff like the same so we usually record like on a on a Thursday so we did a couple of Thursdays before our first episode we met up and we chatted it through and coming up with like what we need to do and all this kind of stuff and uh, yeah, at Ed's house, and I'm like, um, hello, <laughs> person of the telly. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's normal now, but it's still not normal. It's really oddly kind of not normal, but you know, he's such a nice guy. It's like, it's hard to be scared. Here's Dr. Pashaka Chowdhury giving a medical perspective on Colin's role in Bandersnatch, the Choose Your Own Adventure Black Mirror episode that came out just after Christmas last year. So I couldn't work out even if he was real or what was going on because the very first run I had of it, Colin very quickly said, I've seen you before. And obviously when they were taking um, drugs in the apartment, he was explaining the concept of time and the fluidity of time to Stefan. Um, and I, I thought he is the guide. It really looked like he was going to be this guide through this world where uh, Stefan could change outcomes. And then the unthinkable happened. It was a closed loop to me. So he, Colin jumps. He's, uh, his girlfriend sees him at the bottom. And then suddenly we're in another world. And, they, and Colin doesn't come up again, really. They talk about him not being there. And it didn't quite fit with what happened later on for me was the girlfriend comes back and says, you know, where's Colin? Whereas in the watching we had, the Colin, the girlfriend saw Colin die. So it really was too much. That was too confusing. Like, what actually was that? What is Colin alive? Is Colin dead? How, what is this mental health problem? Is this guy actually having com- a complete psychotic state and doesn't know reality from unreality? Or, you know, is this just a bit of drama? I think that's the problem because in a game, 
you're not thinking about all of these things. But in a story, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I think it works well as a game. I actually am really looking forward to just playing it as a game. And then I think I feel less concerned by, like you say, you don't care. You don't care as much about Stefan and, and his mental health problems and how much you're torturing him. You're just playing a game. There is obviously a theme that runs through all of them uh, about technology and how it could be a bad thing and how it's changed uh, us as human beings or and how it could change us, us as human beings. But beyond that, I found it very standalone. I found it different to others, notably. And I think you should make a game out of it. Here's foreign correspondent Jennifer Omani recalling dealing with tear gas and huge protests in Hong Kong during the 2014 Umbrella Movement? Well, I think um, there was a lot of tear gas, so that's something I hadn't experienced before. And they made they made these amazing uh, makeshift masks out of plastic bottles. So the protesters, uh, the, the most ingenious people uh, I've ever met, they, they came every time the police did something, they'd develop a tactic against it. So a really good example was the the, the masks that they made so that you could breathe uh, with cotton cotton wool and plastic bottles so that when the tear gas was fired, they could stay in place. I mean, it didn't work for very long, but you still bought yourself a bit of time at least to, to get to it into a different position where you weren't sort of choking and your eyes watering. But the thing with Hong Kong is that well, it's incredibly peaceful. People would sleep on the ground with their phone next to them and no one would steal their new iPhone. They would just be asleep and with their phone there and nothing would happen. I think one thing that really stuck with me was there was absolutely nothing to gain for these kids to to protest. They're already living in, you know, one of the wealthiest cities in the world, very well educated, have everything sort of going for them if they want to and if they're willing to toe the line uh, for China. And they just didn't want to. And a lot of them went to jail for that um, and are still being, you know, still have legal problems um, now for their role in those protests. And they just were so passionate about wanting independence for for their just independent thought, really. Not Some of them were literally wanted independence for Hong Kong, but very few of them. They just wanted their city to be theirs and to have a greater say in um, in their elections. And again, I think it's the first time I reflected back onto what I had at, at home. I'm, I've always voted I've always valued voting. I'm obviously interested in the democratic process, but it, it's never been something I've thought about being removed or given only to a small group of people as it is in Hong Kong, a tiny sort of group of uh, wealthy and influential people actually pick who will become the, the leader in Hong Kong. And, and Beijing wanted to erode that even further to a list of people that they had pre-approved. So I think it was the one of many, many moments working in Asia where that made me reflect on my own democracy, my own country, um, the the freedoms that we fought very hard for, and that a lot of people, certainly of my age, having not lived through World War II, have never thought about being eroded, really. It was one of the first times I'd been given any opportunity to, to report. So I was just scanning the crowd for uh, prominent student leaders, for prominent pro-democracy politicians, for anybody that I could actually get a quote from. So I wasn't just taking in the atmosphere, enjoying, uh, you know, watching people milling around. I was like on a heat-seeking missile, looking for sources, looking for people to speak to, because if I went back to the office with nothing, then I was very unlikely to get let out again. So um, it was it was stressful, both in terms of thinking about personal safety and about um, that night, they were, there were all these rumours as well, which is another thing that happens very frequently in protests everywhere in the world. 
there's rumors that the army, the Chinese army is coming in, that they're going to fire rubber bullets on the crowd, that they've got live rounds, that they're doing all of this stuff. And it's very hard to know in that moment what's true and what isn't. So, you know, it, and especially when you're reporting to not send something false back to the desk and to corroborate what you're seeing and what people are telling you in a, in a movement, sorry, in a moment that's very fluid and where things are changing all the time. So I just remember the overwhelming stress. Here's Laura Oliver talking about the importance of asking your network for help when you first go freelance. What's been more essential has been the the network of people that you've met along the way. And again, it's I I sort of recoil a bit at the word networking, which is awful for a journalist because a lot of our job is speaking to people who we've never met before. And I love doing that because I want to hear about them. But when I'm talking about myself, I yeah, it, it makes my skin crawl a little. But I think there is a a, a stronger network than many people may realise. Um, and it may not be something you've been actively feeding, but there is an opportunity. And I found it when I went freelance or when I sort of decided, OK, well, I'm going to kind of let everyone know that I'm available for work now. Um, I sent a one off email to all my LinkedIn contacts um, so, you know, that's 11 years of people that you've met or bumped into or worked with or whatever. Um, and I'd kept it pretty tight to people that I actually had met, um, people that I accepted requests from. Um, and it was a one off. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do this again. You're not going to get, you know, spam from me. But I just want to let you know that I'm now doing this and I'm available for work and new opportunities. And honestly, the feedback from that and the and you know, some direct office of work as well. But I hadn't realised quite how strong that network was until I took this leap. And that was quite reassuring. And now I'm more aware of it. And now I try and do things to help feed it and support it and give back to it and things. But it was a nice um, surprise, I guess, that when you really needed it, those connections were there. Here's Anna Cochorado talking about starting the Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign. And then I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me was at the beginning of this year, we saw it was over 2,000 journalism jobs cut from the redundancies at BuzzFeed, more redundancies at Vice. And then the pool closed. And when the pool closed, it left dozens of freelancers and staff members with unpaid salaries and unpaid invoices. And for me, that was what kind of pushed me to finally launch this campaign. I wrote up an open letter to address to media, to the media industry, basically, calling for media companies to pay their freelancers fairer, better and faster. And in practice, what the letter is asking for, three main points. One, an end to the payment on publication issue that I've mentioned Secondly, to respect late payment fees. Um, and the last point is to update unfit for purpose payment systems. So none of these things I think are in any way unreasonable. I think these are actually just the basic rights that freelancers should be enjoying anyway. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, have been overlooked. Um, and as of this morning, when I last checked, the letter has been signed by over 950 journalists. And interestingly, it's worth pointing out that these aren't just freelance journalists, there are staffers and editors who are signing, have signed as well. It's been backed by the British Association of Journalists, 
Frontline, Freelance Register, The Second Source, and ACOS Alliance. Um, so it's been getting lots of support, which I'm completely blown away by. Um, and the next phase for me will be to now take this to media organizations and try to engage them in a dialogue about what they would be prepared to kind of do. So here's Rebecca L. Weber, who makes the Writing Coach podcast and coaches writers. What I had done was I had started making these small videos that were sometimes on my blog and sometimes for my my students. That And I so I was editing those, you know, so I had some very, very basic, you know, OK, it takes me this long to edit out this many ums kind of thing. You know, I had this very rudimentary understanding of how it worked and I had no real intention of creating one. I wasn't thinking about one. And somebody who I like and trust. And then the writer literally said to me, you should have a podcast. And I was like, don't be silly. You know, writers don't listen to podcasts. And then I heard myself say that. And I was like, well, I listen to podcasts. And, you know, by the end of the day, I was like, yeah, I should have a podcast. It was, and the concept for it was, I pretty much knew right away what it was that I wanted to do. I think I thought that the episodes would be longer than they are. I would say that's probably the main difference, but that's as I sort of started them out, like I just already had a pretty clear idea of what a lot of the main things were that people wanted to hear about. Like, oh, you know, I'm dealing with overwhelm and confusion and prioritizing it. And so it's like, I'll do an episode about that. And I'll do an episode about that. And then I also sort of mix it up in terms of um, also inviting some guests on. I'm excited that you're going to come on as a guest as well. Here's Lily Ames, who moved from Canada, where she worked at the Canadian Broadcasting Company and now works in the UK. Among other jobs, she has helped develop the Today in Focus podcast at The Guardian, and she now works for Chalk and Blade. And here's her view on why her voice didn't fit in on Canadian radio. I guess it's only like six, seven years ago. I think it was still quite old fashioned, like in radio the women on air didn't sound like me. I never thought that I had like a weird voice or anything. Well, what do they, did they sound like, was there a kind of Canadian received pronunciation? No, it's not. It's so my accent is the same as every Canadian. It's not that it's, um, it's too high. The women are like, hello, like the deepest voices ever where I was like, Oh, well I'm only like 26. Maybe yeah, maybe I just have like a, a my voice is gonna break one yeah, day. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm 33. I have the same voice, like, and and there was this kind of like awkward thing where it's like, oh well, you know, you can do like, of course, you can do like local kind of arts and community packages where you're like, I'm here at this like underprivileged privileged neighborhood in Toronto where they're using art to save the world. That's fine but no one in everyone kind of politely discouraged me from being on the mic and last but not least here is a bit more from Sue Llewellyn who's a social media trainer and uh, worked at the BBC for 15 years as a TV reporter and she has a bit more to say about what it is to be a woman and an older woman in the media I've never, ever been held back by the belief that I'm a woman and I can't do something or that I would allow anybody to talk down to me because I was a woman. You know, I've always been well known for expressing an opinion and, and not just taking it because I have to or 
being told what to do by somebody. Uh, I don't think that you should ever feel um, that you can't, you know, express how you feel or think something's uncomfortable. So I just thought, you know, why not? Nothing has ever held me back. Um, and I think, you know, certainly as I've got older, that's probably become more entrenched and I've become more more opinionated, but in a nicer way. <laughs> um, you know, I try to be polite now, perhaps, whereas maybe before I might be slightly more assertive in saying I'm not going to do this because that's, that's shit and I don't agree with it. Um, but now I'm, you know, more diplomatic, I think. I've learned that as I've got older. But the one thing I would say now is people like me are pretty much invisible now. So if you think it's hard being a woman, just wait till you get to be a woman over 50. Then you are utterly invisible. We don't exist in the media, or very, very few of us do. Um, and that is shocking and needs to change. And I'm certainly doing a lot more standing up and talking at conferences about how women need to stand up and be counted, and we need more women being represented, and not just young women. That's great for young women, but what about us oldies? You know, we need we need to be represented too. We're not dead yet. So that, <laughs> that's one thing I'm going to do this year, I think, is make sure that the older women get a voice because uh, we've been too quiet for too long. Uh, and, you know, somebody like Moira Stewart, who's absolutely brilliant. I love Moira. I used to work with her on breakfast ages ago. She's fantastic. Um, you know, why isn't she still on TV? I know she's on, on radio, but I think that there's an obsession with youth, an absolute obsession with youth in this, particularly in this country, and an obsession with looking young. Uh, when you go to Scandinavia, there are posters with women with wrinkles on. It's fantastic, you know, <laughs> absolutely fantastic to see people who look like my age. And also in the workplace, in the media, there are older women. I very, very, very rarely see anybody in the media of my age, very rarely. And I it's a disgrace. I think it's very, very peculiar. You know, as a man, you can look like a wedding cake left out in the rain. But as a woman, you've got to be immaculate. You've really got to look absolutely, you know, you've got to be slim. You've got to be young. You can't have any wrinkles. You can't have any gray hair. None of that stuff. You know, youth is an obsession. Why can't you have an older woman with all the experience and the knowledge and the, you know, everything else that goes with it? Why can't you be there with the younger man? What's wrong with that? Uh, what's wrong with being two women on the screen, a younger one and an older one? I just think that there need to be more older women visible in the media and also at top management levels. There's not many. It's really hard. I know it's really hard. Working in the media as a woman, and particularly if you've got children, is bloody hard um, because the, the time, the hours, it's really hard. And there are quite often some very significant sacrifices that have to be made to get to the top of the tree. I think that's why a lot of them have disappeared. They may be you know, whatever happens, you end up having to look after the kids. Um, so it's generally a woman's job. I know this is very controversial, but it's always true. You know, kind of kids are sick. Okay, well, mummy, mummy, mummy. Um, and that's a tricky thing. So you have to be, there's no such thing as having it all. You really isn't. I think we've been sold a, a pop on that one. There isn't. And you, you cannot have it all. Um, something has to give somewhere. And I think it's really important that you find balance. And balance uh, in everything. Balance also in age on screen. I'm ranting again now, but I do think that it's um, it's the year that the older woman has to be seen. And actually, just today, I changed my avatar on Twitter. I've had this, the same avatar since I joined Twitter back in 2009, and that picture that I had before was taken when I was at university, which is you know probably back in 1846 or something. I mean, absolutely ages and ages and ages ago. Um, so I thought it's about time I came out and looked my age now. Um, so I've 
I thought, this is it. I'm now going to say I'm old and I'm proud of it. I'm really proud and I'm still here. Really lucky that I'm still here. So, um, you know, loud and proud, that's what I'm going to be. So my heartfelt thank you to everyone who has been a guest on Freelance Pod. And um, it's been a real delight to listen back to all the women who've been guests and uh, pull out my favourite bits to put together. So I could think of no better celebration of International Women's Day. And um, I hope you have a good one. Well, that's it for another episode of Freelance Pod. If you enjoyed what we talked about in this episode, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at Freelance Pod. On Twitter is at Freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. That's it for now. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.